Well, then we'll open up, as I said, once again to Matthew chapter 5. And just would like to thank you all for the opportunity to minister, minister to you again this, this Sabbath day. And I'm glad to hear that um, Mr. Robert Rowe, or as I call him, Bobby, will be preaching for y'all next Sunday. Um, he was a good friend of mine when I was in Greenville. Uh, currently, I'm I'm back in Florida for the time being. Um, I'm glad to hear that he will be bringing the word for y'all next Sunday. But we'll read the same passage here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning our reading in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. Amen. Let's let's just ask the Lord very briefly to bless in the preaching of his word this evening. Our gracious God, we come before thee one final time before the proclamation of thy word. Lord, we ask now that the foolishness of preaching would sanctify the souls of thy people. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we're coming again this evening to look at the opening of one of the greatest sermons of all time from the greatest preacher of all time. The Lord Jesus knew the exact needs of everyone in the crowd that was gathered there that day. And the Holy Spirit would empower him to say exactly what he needed to say, exactly what the people needed to hear. But as the Lord Jesus is, is proclaiming these Beatitudes, there's actually a, a progression in them. There, there's a movement there. Because many of the early ones, that the first four that we looked at this morning, they, they related more heavily to someone who has first been saved or you know is, is first coming to be saved. Though as we saw, they had application to the rest of, of a Christian's life. But these later ones that we're about to look at, they're a little bit different because they actually are, are more prevalent to someone who is in their later Christian life. Though they, they still do have some relation to someone who is a new convert. The Beatitudes that we will be looking at, they're more of a developed Christian. Something else that's particularly true of these Beatitudes 
I stressed in, in the first ones that the reason why someone is blessed in those first four, it, it had an already and a not yet side to it. There was there was a blessing that that they were to enjoy now, but the blessing was to grow and to become far greater in the future. But for these that we're going to be looking at, these character traits, like like being merciful, they have that that same that same thing about them where they have a already and a not yet side to them, such as as being merciful. Because we will not find any of the things that we look at here. We're not going to find them in perfect with perfection in ourselves. They are things that we are to pursue after. We are to cultivate them in ourselves. I was very glad to hear our brother reading from, from Romans. And as he was reading through Romans, you found so many of the Beatitudes in that chapter. And the Apostle Paul was telling the people to follow after these things because that is where we will find our joy that is where you find blessedness is pursuing these beatitudes but let us come now and continue to look at the opening of this great sermon from the greatest of all preachers as we continue to look at the blessed man we come now to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Who is the merciful? What, what, is, what is a merciful man like? Well, I found very quickly that, that you find the most amazing picture of what mercy looks like when you, when you just do a, a Bible word search, the word mercy in the New Testament. Because over and over and over again, I can't even give all the examples of it. You find the same word being used as people are coming to Christ. And they are coming with their sufferings, with their pain. And they are crying unto him, have mercy. In Matthew 15, verse 22, the Canaanite woman asked him, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. In Matthew 17 and verse 15, a man with a lunatic son asked Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me, on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oftentimes into the water. The man is coming to Christ and he's asking for mercy. You know, his, his days are filled with watching his son and making sure that he doesn't end his own life. Every day he lives with that possibility and the suffering that that wreaks, that that causes on his heart and on his own mind. This, this great suffering, and he cries unto the Lord, have mercy to end this suffering. In Matthew 20 and verse 30, there's two blind men sitting on the side of the road as Jesus is passing by on his way to Jerusalem. And they cry out to him, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And though they were rebuked by the crowd and told to just be silent, they continued to cry, continued to cry for mercy. When you see what those people were asking for, you see what a merciful man is. 
A merciful man is someone who is exercising compassion, acting on a heart full of pity for someone to relieve their suffering. A merciful man is someone who relieves the sufferings of others, who shows mercy. You look at a merciless heart instead of this, turns a blind eye to suffering. It might feel sorry for someone who is who is in that suffering, but it doesn't do anything about it. And the teachers, the Jewish teachers in Christ's day, they were they were incredibly merciless. When when Christ's disciples were walking through that field of corn on the Sabbath day, and they plucked the corn just to satisfy their hunger. They had no compassion for them. They would rather they remain hungry and they remain suffering just to keep just to keep their own law. You know, the Pharisees refused to show mercy on their own families. In Matthew 15 in verse 5, you read an account of that. The Pharisees were giving their property, their possessions, as, as a gift to God, devoting them to, to God in some way. And because of that, when their own parents came to them and asked for help, for relief from suffering, for mercy, they had justification, according to their law, to say no. Sorry, I'm unable to show you this mercy. Just so that they could keep their own, keep the possessions for themselves instead of helping out their own flesh and blood. But it's it's easy to look out in the world and define merciless men. But Christians can be that way sometimes too. We you and I can be merciless. Jonah was that way. When he was called to go to Nineveh to preach to them the, the coming destruction of that city, he knew that the Lord was going to show mercy on them, and he would rather the entire city burn and be destroyed and everyone in it be killed than show them mercy because he hated them. I must confess, I feel that we feel this way. I can confess that I do at times as well. You know, when you read of the, the actions of some men, of, of terrorists in the Middle East, of the cartel in Mexico and their ruthless, merciless violence, would we, would we rather than die than the Lord show them mercy? If you drive, you know, just driving down the road, you see homeless people who are clearly struggling with some sort of drug addiction and their life is an absolute train wreck. Do we turn the blind eye? We feel sorry for them and their condition, but do we turn from them and not show them mercy? You know, we could show, we can't really give them money because we know what they'll do with it. But we can pray for them. That is showing mercy to pray that their sufferings would be relieved, that they 
that they would come to Christ and sin no more. They could buy them a bite to eat just to relieve their hunger. We must pour out ourselves for others to relieve the sufferings of others. That is what it means to be merciful. But why is it that someone who is so concerned with relieving the suffering of others is, is a blessed man? He gives instead of receiving. Why does that make you blessed? Well, Jesus says it is because they will obtain mercy. He, he's saying that because you are a Christian, because you look at all the Beatitudes, it's talking about one person. It's a Christian. You will show compassion and seek to show more compassion because we have already obtained compassion. We have already obtained mercy from Christ and we will obtain more. If we are going to have more from him, how, how can we not show mercy? How, how, we, how are we who are constantly receiving mercy from the hand of the Lord? How do we not show it? Christ, he brings relief to our sufferings, even in this life, you know, as, as we seek to show mercy and relieve the sufferings of others, Christ does relieve our sufferings on this earth. You know, that we do admit that as long as we're going to live on this earth, we will have sufferings, but he will be the reliever of them. He will not allow us to be overwhelmed by our sufferings. Though at times we feel that we are growing close to that point, he knows where it is. He will not let us go beyond. He brings relief every time because he is faithful, because he is merciful. You know, when the day is coming, the day is coming when all of the people of God will receive mercy, will receive a relief from their suffering greater than they have ever experienced up until this point. You know, up until this point, the greatest relief of our suffering is that we are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to the bondage of serving Satan, serving ourselves. But the day is coming when all the sin that we suffer under, all of our own sins, the sufferings of that will be gone. You know, when Christ first came, you read all through the Gospels of him, showing mercy, relieving the suffering of all those who came to him. But that was for such a short time. That was on such a small little place on the globe. But when he comes again, the things that you read of, the mercy that you find in the Gospels, he will pour it out upon all of his people to an extent and a degree that we have never known. There will be sufferings no more. That is what... 
people of God will find because they are a merciful people. We do show mercy because we have been shown mercy. And we ought to show more mercy because we will be shown more mercy. And that is why we are blessed. But we continue on here, looking at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, that, that phrase, the pure in heart, that's saying that the blessed man has pure motives, thoughts, and desires. The things that flow out of his heart are pure. Not, not just to do good, not just to be kind to others, but to do it with, with a right motivation, to do it with the perfect motivation. That's, that's, the, that's what flows out of the heart. The heart is a thing that the Pharisees did not touch. Christ rightly said of them that they were only concerned about cleaning the outside of the cup and they didn't care about what was on the inside. They were whited sepulchers, white graves full of dead men's bones. They did not care what was on the inside. It was so bad that Christ in this Sermon on the Mount taught that it was wrong to look at a woman and lust after her in your heart. <laughs> when we read that, we're kind of used to it, and it seems obvious, but Christ had to say it because it wasn't being taught. He had to say that it was wrong to want to harm your brother without a cause. Even if you don't do it, it was wrong to have that desire. Just the desire to break the law of God, that was breaking the law. But the pure heart loves what is good, and it hates what is evil. And that is how you keep the law of God, by doing it, not just in action, but in, in your motives. You see that in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, the end of the commandment, the end of the law, is charity out of a pure heart is love, loving actions out of a pure heart, doing good with right motivations, with pure thoughts. You contrast that today with most people that I, I've talked to, when, when you ask them, you know, what makes something right or well, what makes something okay for you to do it? And they usually just will say that, well, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. If, if the outward appearance of it is all right, then they don't see an issue with it. But the Lord knows that's how man thinks. But he does not think like that. He says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, this is, this is the Lord speaking. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know how I said in the introduction, when you look at the the blessings, the things that, that make that make you joyful that you find in the Beatitudes, how they had a a already and a not yet. Well, to this we can confess that it's 
we have it all ready, but it, it isn't fully here yet. Because the Lord has given us, we are a Christian, the Lord has given us a new heart when he saved us. When he did that, it was not a small thing. It was a radical change. It, it affected our very desires to where we want things that we, we did not want before. First Corinth, or 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. We think things about God that an unsaved person cannot think. We have desires towards him that no one else can have because he's given us a heart that loves him, a heart that is growing in purity for him in all of its thoughts and motives. Oh, whether you realize it or not, when you were saved, that happened. I know that for many of us that have been saved for a long time, you kind of just take it for granted. But we have a heart that's different. It's so different from anything else you will find in this world. But we also, all of us know all too well what it is like to have desires that just seem to be full of corruption. You just look inside of, of, of a family, a father, a mother, husband, a wife, a son, or a daughter. Ask yourself, look in your own heart, your own past, and have there been days, times where you have lived selfishly? You live in a way that is for your own benefit, and it's not really with much regard for the ones that we are to be caring for. And we care for ourselves to, to the neglect of others. I think we can all find, find a time like that. You know, times where, where the Lord has pointed things out in our lives and said, that thing is bad. Do not pursue it. Do not, do not go after it. But we still feel our hearts tugging after it, whether, whether we actually pursued it with our actions or not. We still felt our hearts tugging after it and wanting the thing that the Lord said, no, that is wrong. And we see in those, we see in those things that the blessed man having a pure heart, well, that it's got an already side to it, but it's got a big not yet to it. We find ourselves in this battle on this earth to have purer hearts. And I bring up that this is this is the command of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. He says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I must emphasize that in just in the previous verse, it, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. I mentioned that because I do not want anyone to think that I'm saying that we, we pursue purer hearts through our own strength, through fleshly means, because that's not what the verse is saying. Through the spirit that actually works powerful things, we are to bring every single one of our thoughts 
into obedience to Christ. We come to look at the blessing of this. The Jews would be very familiar with that phrase. They shall see God. In the Old Testament, when men when men saw an appearance, a manifestation of God, they were afraid that they were going to die. They were afraid they were going to die because they had seen God. The reason they feared that is because they knew that God was holy and they were unholy. And that they could not stand before him. When the children of Israel were before Mount Sinai and it was thundering and darkness and lightnings, they would not dare approach that mountain for fear. They were terrified of the Lord. But this is the blessing to the pure in heart. They shall see God. They shall come before his presence as people of his kingdom. And they will not be afraid. They will not be not afraid as, as they were in the Old Testament of with a fear of terror and of and of death. But they will come before him and they will see him with joy. And you know, there's in the word of God, there's something about seeing God that transforms the Christian to be like God. In John, John's third epistle, chapter 1, verse 11, says, He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. The implication there is, is that if man would have seen God, he would do good because it would have changed him. If he would have looked to God with saving faith, it would have changed who he was. But in, in that passage, those that do evil, they do not. You know, what this means is that those who have had their hearts purified by Christ, they're going to continue to see God, which will continue to purify their hearts until the kingdom fully comes. You find a record in that day in John's first epistle, chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. There it is, the already and the not yet. Now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The reward for the pure in heart is that one day they will see God. When he returns, they will see him face to face. And when they do, they will look at their own hearts and they will find a heart that is as pure as Christ's. Where every thought, every, every desire is good and it is right. And if that is the sight that we will see on that day and the reward we shall receive, let us pursue it today. How can we not pursue it today? We come, continue in, in verse 9, looking at the next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. A peacemaker in this passage is exactly what the word sounds like. It's, 
It's someone whose life is marked by a striving to reconcile opposing parties, even if he is one of those parties. He strives for peace even when he is opposed. I was struck by that even in the reading of, of Romans by our brother. That a man is to seek for seek for peace with all men. But at the end of this same chapter, Christ, at the end of this same chapter here, chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel, Christ talks more about this. In verse 43, he says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That day, Jesus taught thousands of people that it isn't a blessed thing to be a man of vengeance, to always strike back at those that oppose you. He's teaching them to be peacemakers because they are not peacemakers. And things aren't much different today. Just, just ask yourself, how many movies or books, or songs do you know of, and what they are about is a story of revenge. They're a story of vengeance. One of, one of the best-selling, recent best-selling books today was a story about revenge. And it is a bestseller today because, because people love revenge. Because we can love revenge. Is God like that? Does he glorify, does he glory in the destruction of his enemies? Well, in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, it says, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. The end of that verse is saying that the Lord takes pleasure in the wicked turning from it, and making peace, making finding peace with God through Christ. When God makes this statement, it gets it gets right at why the peacemaker is the blessed man, for they shall be called the children of God. That's what it says in the verse. They are called the children of God. Because they're acting like their father. They have a family resemblance to the ultimate peacemaker. And we are only able to make peace because God has made peace with us. Ephesians 2 verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus ye sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. It is a blessed thing to be a peacemaker because when you are striving to make peace, you are you're living as your father does, making peace with men. Making peace even when you have done no wrong at all. Sometimes men try to make 
reconciling with others or peace easier because they say, well, both parties have done wrong. And very often that is true. But there's, I believe, plenty of times where we have done no wrong, but others have just wronged us through no fault of our own. And it's hard in those cases to make peace. I was thinking of just driving down the road and because of someone's negligence and they're not paying attention, they literally almost kill you. When that happens, will we act like our father? Will we be a peacemaker? Trying to you know, not go after them, but to not even to go after them in our own anger and our own rage, but to to forgive when they do not deserve it. To live as God, to act as God does. You know, in the text, the emphasis is that the, the peacemakers will be, they will be called the children of God. Not just that, you know, they're going to recognize themselves as the children of God, but that others will call them this. You know, they're going to be called the children of God, yes, by the world. When they see that we are different, we are not like, not like the rest of the world, but we make peace with men, even when they have wronged us. But I believe that the text here is also saying that God will call the peacemakers his children. Because like any father, he rejoices to see his children being kind as he is kind. Let us be makers of peace. Just as God has made peace with us, living in our sin and warring against him, and he stepped forward to make peace. He offered Christ to die for us that there would be peace. I want to be like my father. I want to be peacemaker. By his grace, we shall be. That is blessing. But we're coming now to the last of the Beatitudes. The last of, of what we will look at this evening. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are these persecuted people? Well, Christ leaves no room for wondering who they are. Because he said they are persecuted because of their righteousness. And this being the last of the Beatitudes, it's pulling together that, that these persecuted people are those that are exhibiting, that they're, they're living out a degree of everything that we have looked at already in, in these Beatitudes. In the days that followed this sermon that Christ preached, after his death and resurrection, many that heard him preach this message would be persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is to these people that the book of Hebrews was written, that are preached on the last time I spoke here, that was written to call the people to stand fast in the midst of harsh persecution. 
Why, why are they being persecuted? Why is it the righteous for righteousness that they are persecuted? Why is it that Christians are persecuted even to this day for this? Why or why do we find persecution in this world? Well, Christ says in verse 11, it's for my sake. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And in John 3.20, it says, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The light of righteousness, it is shining into the darkness of this world. And the world hates it because it shows them how dark their darkness truly is. It shows them the sin that they would rather remain hidden. The comfort of men is disturbed. You know, they see that their good works aren't so good. You just go through the Beatitudes. You know, they are angry when they discover that they are spiritual beggars, that they have nothing to give to God. They refuse to mourn over their sin. And they're angry that, that their happy bliss is disturbed when their consciences are pricked, when you point it out and you call them to mourn over it. They could not be disturbed. More often than not, I think that people would rather that God be their servant than that they would be meek and that they would be the servant of God. You know, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that bites the conscience of a sinner because they really don't want righteousness and they don't think they need it that much. And mercy. There's plenty of men who despise the thought of giving themselves for others. Because it means they're just going to have less. Being pure in heart. It is very upsetting, angering to the unsaved to tell them that, listen, God doesn't accept your works. Even the ones that look good because they're not coming from pure motives. They're not coming from a pure heart. Man hates to, to hear that. You try to live and to be a peacemaker, make peace with men, and there'll be there'll be men who try to take advantage of you in that. Or there'll be others that just act like, well, there's no real conflict, there, there's no real problem here, and they just continue to manipulate and to scheme and to war against you or others and just do hurt and harm. Shine the light of the gospel on the lives of men. And they will turn away from it. The light, And if the light is too bright and they can't get away from it or bury their heads deep enough in the sands of this world, then they'll persecute you for it because they don't want to hear it. Why is the persecuted man blessed? The outcast of society Christ here actually circles back to the first blessing that he mentioned, that the first one that we looked at when he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in the following verses after that, he, he makes another transition because he doesn't, he doesn't say the, the poor in spirit or the peacemaker. He says, blessed are ye. He's making it personal. To those that, that are hearing him. So we have every right to make it personal to ourselves. Blessed 
are you the persecuted because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. He is our reward. Every, every reward, everything that, that I've mentioned up to this point that makes us blessed, that, that, is, that will all reach its fullness when Christ returns, it's going to reach its fullness when Christ returns because Christ is the blessing. He is the blessedness of this man that we have looked at. You know, the blessing of being comforted. Christ is the one that brings that comfort. He is the comfort. He is the first comfort to a sinner, and he is the last. You know, inheriting the earth, inheriting the land, the place where God dwells, well, that's the place where Christ is found. Who cares about living in the land, inheriting the earth? If you don't find Christ there, he's the blessing that you find in the land. Being filled with righteousness. Well, whose righteousness is that? It's Christ's. Obtaining mercy, relief from suffering. That relief comes from the hands of Christ. It is purchased by him. Without him, we do not have it. The blessing of seeing God. No man can see God. But we see God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him that we see. He is the blessing in seeing God. Because we shall be like him. We shall be like Christ, our reward. We shall be the children of God. We shall be called the children of God. Because we have been joined in an unbreakable bond with Christ. We've been brought into the family with him because of him. It's, you know, it's even so much sweeter than what Adam had, you know, because Adam, if he would have, if he would have kept the law, you don't really have that he would have been a part of the family of God, not the way that the Bible speaks of us being the children of God, adopted by him. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, which is Jesus Christ. Never separate him from any of the blessings that you find, the rewards that, that the Bible points out to us. You know, like people can speak of heaven, you know, the streets are the streets of gold. Well, that's that's language that the Bible uses of it, but don't separate streets of gold from Christ. What good is that? What good is a land with, with all the blessings that people run after in this world if you don't find Christ there? It's an empty, empty heaven. It is an empty kingdom if you don't find Christ there. When you, when you know that, when you believe that Christ is the reward and you see him from day to day and you go about your life living as if Christ is my reward. I will be all these things that the world frowns upon because Christ is my reward. 
when you see that, it changes your life, changes the way you live. Because we are going unto him. You live for him when he is the reward. So then if men persecute us, let us walk in the footsteps of the prophets that have gone before us. As the blessed people of the kingdom of God. For ours is the kingdom. Ours is Christ. I'll ask my brother, brother Samuel now to come and lead us in a closing hymn.